first job. Jobs are important. I mean, they really are. Did you ever have a job you didn't like? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a bunch of you said, yeah. Oh, a job. I had one I didn't like. They, uh, I, I got a job. I was in college, and I got a job at a temp agency with a temp agency, you know, how it is. And, uh, of course, they charge, they charge the employer a whole lot of money, but they pay you a little bit of money. And they sent me to the Hardy's warehouse. And, uh, man, I was really getting into it because, I mean, I was, I was liking it. It's where they serviced all the Hardy's stores in that area, and, you know, they had restaurants. And they had all this huge warehouse, I mean, huge, like down in Charlotte, I think. Huge warehouse. And uh, they even had forklifts. And I got to where I could drive a forklift. And I was driving that thing around and getting stuff off the shelves and loading it onto the trucks and everything. And then the boss came to me and said, man, you're just a temp. You're not supposed to be driving the forklifts. Here's the broom. Get busy sweeping. So I started sweeping. Well, then he said, now under the loading dock, there's a place to put, uh, you know, where the, dock, the trucks would back in. Go down there under that loading dock there and clean that mess out. Well, what was happening? They were dropping stuff down in there, you know, off those trucks and when they were loading and all that. And I'm talking about like, like some food products and things like that. And I got down there and started sweeping that stuff and rats were running. And man, I hate rats. Well, I lasted about one more day, and I said, if this is what it is, I'll go do something else. So I did. And then let me tell you one more neat story. This is funny. So uh, about work. So I got another temp job working at an aluminum company where they made aluminum. And uh, they were, you know, that, what they did, they, they took and they, uh, uh, it was, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't an aluminum company. Then. It was a paper company. They took paper, they made paper, and what they did, they had these great big rolls, uh, huge rubber rolls, uh, you know, that would roll the pulp. You know, pulp would come in, and they would work it, and they would press it out, okay? Well, what happened, I got a job there, and they, were, they, they said the job is punching holes. So I said, okay, well, so I'm thinking I'm going to punch with a, with a punch, you know, I've used equipment before, so... So I was going to pull her down, punch holes. You know, I'm figuring that's kind of what my job is. So I go up there, and I was kind of excited about it. And so they gave us our tools. And there was several of us there, and uh, temp guys, you know, and they gave us our tools. And one was a pair of goggles. I said, and now we're talking, and some gloves. I said, yeah, now we're, yeah, we're going to get ready to punch some holes. And then they handed me a clothes hanger. And I'm thinking, What? And they told, they said, now take and untwist this and make it real straight. And I did, I said, okay, I'm waiting. Then they took me over to one of those great big rubber rolls that, you know, they had used and it was sitting on the ground. And they said, start punching. I said, what? Well, those rubber rolls had holes in them, like millions of holes. And the job was to take that clothes hanger and push down into that roll and punch out the excess pulp that was filling the holes. So for eight hours, I ran a clothes hanger down through holes until I was just about sick of it. Okay. I mean, you know, $3 an hour. I mean, you know, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> Back then, it's a long time ago. So yeah, good jobs, bad jobs, but what's the best job? Well, what if you were on a certain 
path, a path toward home, and you saw a sign that read danger ahead, would, would you continue on that path toward home or would you turn around? What if you were nearing home, almost within sight of home, and you didn't see an imminent danger there? Would you stay on that path toward home? Walking into danger is not an easy thing to do. Sometimes it's a necessary thing to do. Some jobs are dangerous jobs. Soldiers going into battle know that there's danger ahead, but they go on because that is their duty. They swear an oath and they stick by it. In fact, desertion is one of the most terrible and uh, terrible crimes we can commit and very punishable. Men and women who serve our country might be called upon to enter a danger zone at any time. And they accept that risk. And there are other jobs which are very, very important. In fact, let me just say that all jobs are important. I, I, I think they are, whether it is protecting or teaching or healing or feeding or producing. Christ Jesus wants his people to have a good work ethic, to work toward good, toward his kingdom, even when the path might be filled with bad things, with danger, with ridicule with opposition. It's all part of the job. You know, when I was punching those holes or sweeping that trash, I was doing the very best I could do. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants His people to shine, whether it's at play or work. So with that in mind, let's ask ourselves some questions today. And, as we th- and think about those questions as we go through this study in Paul's life and ministry. What would I be willing to risk for Jesus? If doing kingdom work became dangerous, risking persecution, would I still do it for Jesus? Would I stay devoted to Jesus if it meant facing ridicule or embarrassment? Now ask yourself that que- those questions because you are the only one who can answer that question for yourself. And I want us to think about that as we continue looking at the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. This great apostle, the humble servant of the Lord, was willing to give up his life to share the message of Christ's kingdom with his world. And because of his faith and his work for Jesus, we now have a New Testament because most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And most of the world has heard the great news of God's transforming grace through Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20, and let's continue our message in transforming grace. And I just want us to turn there for a moment and just bow and pray, and we'll be looking at these verses together. So let's just pray together. Father in heaven, we open now the pages of this wonderful, powerful, sacred Word, the Word of God. The Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And every time we open its pages, we are hearing words from the author himself. I pray, God, that as we read them, as we listen, that the Holy Spirit would take your Word and would teach it to us, apply it 
to our lives. Lord, I pray today that, that someone somewhere would hear the gospel and would accept Jesus. And Lord, I pray that everyone who hears this message, that the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and may they get something today that they need. This is a desperate world we're in today. These are desperate and dangerous times, especially for Christians. And I pray, God, that you would just give us courage and love, more love for you, Lord, more devotion for, to you, so that no matter what we face, we'll keep on working for your kingdom. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Transforming grace. Now, what we see here in Acts chapter 20 is Paul's last part of the mission before he made his final trip to Jerusalem and ultimately to Rome, where he was going to be executed. In Acts 20, verse 1, we read, After the uproar had ceased. Now, what is he talking about? Now, remember Luke wrote the book of Acts, gave us all this, gave us all this information, and these gave us, he was an eyewitness to these events that happened. And he said, after the, up, the uproar in Ephesus, Remember the, the Jews or, or the, the people of uh, Demetrius and others, the silversmith and all who made the, the shrines or the idols of the goddess Diana. He was upset when Paul was preaching that there is no God but the Lord God. And so he stirred the whole city up and they hated Paul and they hated the Christians and, and, uh, and they would have destroyed them. They would have killed them. But, uh, but there was a... Uh, there was a calmness in the in the the leader of Ephesus, and uh, and so after this uproar, so there was a riot. It, there was a riot, but then, but then it calmed down, and after, and after this uproar had ceased, verse one says, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed. To go to Macedonia. Now, after this riot, Paul set out for Macedonia and Corinth. Corinth, that terrible evil city, we looked at his ministry there, where Paul had preached the gospel for a year and a half and brought many people to faith in Christ. Paul wanted to go back to Corinth and see how they were doing. You see, as Paul was ending his three-year ministry in Ephesus, he was told that in Corinth there was trouble in the church. Trouble in the form of strong opposition to Paul's apostolic authority. Now Luke does not give us the details in Acts. So there's a lot going on between verses 1 and 2 in Acts 20. We see that in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, the first letter and the second letter. And so we're going to look at, at a little bit of that. And I've got it on the screen so you don't have to turn your Bibles there and we can see what's going, what's going on. So let's look at first. Paul tells us what's happening in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1. Listen to this. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you Corinthian believers, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brothers, by those of 
Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There's, there's grumbling and complaining and griping and division. Now this I say that each of you says, some of you say, I am of Paul, or I am of, of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You know, when we do a job, and we complete that job, we want, that, we want the effects of it to go on. We want it to have meant something. And Paul spent time in Corinth, and he spent in that pagan city, that city filled with idolatry, filled with immorality. Paul had spent time there, and he had turned many people away from those idols and away from that licentious lifestyle, and he had turned them to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he's in Ephesus. He's going on his mission, and he's preaching the gospel everywhere. And now he hears word. All that work, was it for nothing? You see? That's what's in Paul's mind. Paul is thinking, what? I laid the great foundation of faith in Jesus. People's lives were transformed, and now they're going back and they're doing the same thing. For some reason, in the Corinthian church, there was an individual who was stirring up jealousy and division among the believers. Well, imagine that. Imagine, has that ever happened? Have you had, ever had any experience with that? Folks, I can tell you all kinds of stories about how someone who said they were a Christian was doing unchristian things and stirring up people in unchristian ways inside a church. It was happening at the church in Corinth. I know people today who have dropped out of church because they didn't like the fighting they saw, because something happened, because there was someone who was causing division in the church. And this is what was happening in Corinth. The Corinthian believers were lining up. Some were behind Paul, some behind Apollos, some behind Simon Peter. There was an attempt by this individual and people who were following him to discredit Paul's ministry. Some were trying to lead the whole church away to, from Paul and his authority. You see, they did not have the New Testament. They didn't have it. All they had were the words of the apostles. The words that we have in the New Testament. They came as Paul wrote letters, as the others wrote letters. That's how we have the New Testament. At the time, all they had were the words of the apostles. And those apostles had been inspired by God. God breathed into their, into their minds His Word, and they wrote down what God said. So this is what's happening. There were people in the church, there were some, who were trying to discredit Paul's authority to give them the truth and the, doctrine, the doctrines they needed. So Paul said, let's go on, 1 Corinthians 4. I've list, had it on the screen for you. I do not write, Paul said, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. He's calling himself the father of that church because he's the one that, that laid the foundation of it. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. 
In other words, he's saying, some of you think I'm not going to come back so they can just say and do anything they want to do. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but I will know the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in a spirit of gentleness? So before Paul left Ephesus, he was troubled by this challenge to his ministry and authority. And so that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. And he sent this letter of 1 Corinthians with his friend Titus. And Titus carried it to Corinth, to the church at Corinth. And Paul wanted to meet Titus, so when Paul would leave Ephesus, he wanted to link up with Titus again and get the report of what had happened in Corinth. Now again, Luke does not record everything about this event. There's a lot, of, a lot going on between verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 20. But Paul gives us the back story in 1 and 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 2. Listen to what he said. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul was not just grieved over these doubts that were stirring about his authority. But as is usually the case, when the authority of God's Word is challenged, all kinds of rebellion follow. In Corinth, immorality arose as a man's son in the congregation actually took his stepmother for his own wife. This and other acts of immorality were happening in the Corinthian church, and it brought sorrow to Paul. So Paul sent this strong letter of warning to rebuke the Corinthian church and waited with great anticipation for the report from Titus. Paul then left Ephesus, and he set out for Macedonia, stopping in Troas to share the gospel, to share the gospel there. And we see in 2 Corinthians 2, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia." Now, Paul expected to meet Titus when he went down. He left Ephesus, he went to Troas. And then he expected to meet Titus and receive news as to the effect of that 1 Corinthian letter. Well, when Titus did not arrive in Troas, Paul continued on to Macedonia, probably stopping in Philippi. And that's when he met Titus. And he got his answer, as Paul relayed in 2 Corinthians 7. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. And now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry by the letter, but that you, your sorrow led to repentance. So all this was happening in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, and part of verse 2, after the, verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go 
to Macedonia, and he had gone over the region and encouraged the people there with many, with many words. So, as Paul was traveling from city to city, preaching the gospel, and in Troas, waiting for Titus, that's when he wrote 2 Corinthians, and sent it on ahead of his visit, which we see now, we come back to Acts 20, and we see verse 3. So he went all over the region and encouraged them with many words, and then he came to Greece and stayed three months. There's Corinth. So Greece is in Corinth, or Corinth is in Greece. So now Paul, in verse 2, Luke doesn't give us the story. We have to look at First and Second Corinthians to see what's going on in the heart and mind of Paul about his kingdom work in Corinth. And then we see it in verse 2. Now he comes to Corinth. Corinth. And there Paul spent three months setting the things right in the church, reestablishing his apostolic authority. An apostle is someone who was personally commissioned by Jesus. That's what we see. That's the New Testament definition of it. The person who, is pers- who, who saw Jesus and was personally commissioned by Jesus. And Paul saw Jesus. Of course, Peter, James, John, all of those saw Jesus. And Jesus commissioned them. But then Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. So... Paul was an apostle. He stayed three months in Corinth. He got things straightened out in that church. Paul's work was a work of encouragement. It was of spiritual encouragement. He saw himself as a messenger of good news. The greatest news, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That he suffered and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven forever. And that he rose from the dead to give us life forever in his presence. Friends, the same message Paul had is the same message we have. The same work to which Jesus called Paul is the same work to which he calls us. It is to know him and make him known. We are to take the same message that Christ died for our sins on the cross. He shed his blood so we could be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. That's what... Paul preached. That's what we're to preach. That's what we're to share with others. It is the only message that can transform lives. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. Do you see that? He, capital H. Who's it talking about? Who's Paul talking about? Who died? Jesus. And who did he die for? Who did he die for? For all, right? Did he die for a select few people? Who did, he die? Who did Paul say he died for? All. He died for all. Not all will accept him, but he died for all so that anyone could be saved. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for Jesus who died and rose again. Now, then Paul said, he said, I'm a workman for Jesus. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. Though God, hey, ambassador, you know something? What a job. Ambassador. Ambassador. There's a whole lot more prestige being an ambassador 
than sweeping loading docks or even dipping ice cream. There is a lot of prestige when you talk about an ambassador. You are a mess. Folks, you are important to the kingdom work of God. Do you understand? You, you are special. You are loved. You are chosen by God. You are hired by Him as His ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's read this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What does Jesus want to do through you? He wants to reconcile a dark, fallen, evil world to Himself. He wants to transform the world through you. That's exciting. You're special. If you, if you ever think you're not special, you just need to look at this verse again. Because you have been called, you've been hired by Jesus as His ambassador. Friends, if we have any work to do for Christ, it is the work of making Him known to our world. Paul did that. He spoke of Jesus wherever he went. He preached the gospel of the kingdom before Jews and Gentiles, before citizens and kings, before slaves and masters. Paul considered himself a slave for Jesus. He used that word for slave, doulos. He used the word, I am a slave, a bondservant for Jesus. One who had been bought with the most expensive of all gifts, the blood of God's Son shed on the cross. Paul preached it. He preached that message in Ephesus for three years. He preached that message in Corinth for three months. Then he continued to preach the gospel through Macedonia, taking with him representatives of the major areas where he had established churches. As Paul went, he started out, remember Paul and Barnabas, then Paul and Silas, and then Luke joined him, and then Timothy, and there were a few of them. But then more and more began to follow Paul as he continued his kingdom work. We see in Acts 20, verses, the latter part of verse 3 through verse 6. Notice what we see here. And when the Jews plotted against Paul as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe. And Timothy, Antichius, and Trophimus of Asia, these men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus represented the Macedonian churches where Paul had labored. Gaius and Timothy represented the churches of southern Galatia. Tychius and Trophimus were from churches in Asia. These men accompanied Paul, not because they, just because they loved him and wanted to protect him, but because they were proof of Paul's success as a missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere they went. Paul, everywhere Paul went, Christ Jesus used him to transform lives. And that should be also the testimony of every one of us, of every believer. 
Every day we live, every place we go is an opportunity to share something about Jesus our Savior with this dark world. And by the way, folks, let me tell you something. Just my own observation, this world has never been darker. Not in my lifetime. Never. Jesus said the days leading up to His return, and He's coming again, will be days like Noah's day. When men disregarded God, when they imagined evil, all kinds of evil, all the time. Their minds were filled continuously with evil thoughts. Their mouths were filled with evil words. We're there. We're living in that day. We're in the day like, days like the days of Noah. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Our work as Christians is the same work that Paul had. Our work is Paul's work. Our work is Christ's work. The great commission which Jesus gave his first apostles, he has given to us. We are to go everywhere teaching the words that Jesus has given us, the Bible, warning people to get ready for the return of our Lord and calling men to repent and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. Those who follow Jesus are transformed by His grace. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead transforms a sinner into a saint, an enemy of God, into a child of God. Read to me, read with me what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What kind of creation is he? A new creation. A new creation. That means there's a difference in his life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is your job for Christ? What has He called you to do? What position? You're what? You're, you're an ambassador. Calling people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. When we have received Jesus, we have a new relationship with God, a new destination, heaven, and a new message, be reconciled to God. And we have a new ministry, sharing the good news that Jesus lives and that He saves. That's what, that was Paul's work at Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, Troas. And when he traveled back through those areas to encourage the church in the mission of Jesus Christ, he stayed faithful to that job. Look at verse 7, Acts 20. Now, on the first... So they're in Troas now. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, I know that may have just gone over some of your heads just a little bit. And Paul preached until when? And you thought that I preached long messages. And then, till midnight? 
If I preach to midnight, I don't know, but there might be two people left, me and my wife. <laughs> I don't even think my kids would stay here that long. I mean, but Paul preached in a service and spoke until midnight. After a week in Troas, Paul met with the believers for worship. And, and it was, we're notice, I do want you to notice it was the first day of the week. Now, what is the first day of the week? It's not Monday. It is Sunday. For some time after the resurrection, Jewish believers still attended synagogue on Saturday, which is the Sabbath day. But eventually, as Jewish leaders continued to oppose Christians, Sunday became the day of worship. A new people, a transformed people, had a new day together for worship. The same day our Lord rose from the dead, Sunday. And Luke records that in verse 7. It was the first day of the week. Now, at this worship service, Paul preached the message of Jesus, and he also encouraged them to give support. He encouraged the fe his fellow believers to give support, give offerings to the, for the work of the ministry, for the kingdom work. Give offerings because there was a group of Christians in Jerusalem. Remember Jerusalem? The place where our Savior died and rose again? the place where the Great Commission was first initiated. He said, Jesus said, Go from Jerusalem. Go and preach the gospel to all nations. Teach them what I've told you. Start in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, in Jerusalem there was great, great persecution going on. Persecution of the church. Christians were being hunted, arrested, they were being tortured. All these things were happening. And Paul was on his trip, his missionary work, he was raising money. Now, you know, we, get, we, raise money, we give to missionaries, but this missionary was raising money to give back to the church. Because at Jerusalem, there was great persecution of God's people. And folks, let me tell you that even today, the word, teaching of the word, like I'm doing, and the giving of our offerings like I'm going to do in just a little while. I've got my envelope ready. And it is important to give because not just because it pleases God and the work of the ministry, but God, that's God's financial plan for your blessing. You give and it will be given to you, Jesus said. And so as we give, our, Paul was raising money to help these people who were suffering and as we give to support the work of the church, the ministries uh, that teach and encourage other believers to grow in their faith, the missions that support those who go with the gospel, the mission that we have, even the mission of our live stream that goes everywhere. As we give, we are part of that, getting the gospel out to the world through our missionaries, through our live stream, even our mission to young people, our children, our school every day. All of this is part of the mission of reaching out to the, into the lives of others. Financial encouragement of God's people at home and abroad has always been the plan of God for His church. Paul would say more about this in his farewell message to the Ephesians. But while at Troas, while worshiping, something tragic happened. Paul had been teaching all day and into the night. And at, mid at midnight, a young man sitting in an open window had a terrible accident. He fell asleep. Now, you're pretty safe here. 
If you fall asleep, you're probably going to be all right. But this young man, he was sitting in a third-story window when he fell asleep. We see it in verses 8 and 9. Then there were many lamps in the upper room. Remember, he's teaching, talking to midnight here. There were many lamps in that upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sink, sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Tragedy. Tragedy occurred. It was a very long service, but you know, one of which the people, would, they wished it would never end. Remember, this was going to be the last time they would ever see Paul. So they held on to every word, all except this young man, because he fell asleep. His eyes couldn't stay open. He couldn't keep his eyes open. He fell out the third-story window and crashed on the ground and died, and the people found him dead. But just as Paul, just as Paul preached life through Jesus, so Jesus would demonstrate his power of life that night through the hands of Paul, his faithful servant. It was part of Paul's kingdom work. Verses 10 through 12. But Paul went down. He fell on this young man and embraced him and said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. And when, Paul had come, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. In other words, they were very much comforted. They were amazed and comforted at the power, the life-giving power of Jesus Christ through Paul. So all this, so at this night service, there was, a, there was teaching the word, there was giving, there was praying, there was breaking of bread, which could have been the Lord's Supper, and there was a miracle. Did you get that? All this was part of the worship there. Teaching the word, praying, giving the Lord's Supper and a miracle. Oh, that we would be so hungry for God, so longing for His word and His power, that we might see miracles take place in God's church again. I believe in miracles. I don't know if you do, but I believe in miracles. I believe the Lord can still do that, which is impossible in the eyes of men. I believe the same Holy Spirit which used Paul wants to use us to lift up those who have been crippled by sin, to bind up those who have been broken, to feed those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This same Jesus who called Paul has called us to love him and serve him and be instruments of his grace and power. God wants to use you and I to transform this world, and that means we have to work, folks. Work is a very important part of life. Listen, work was instituted in the Garden of Eden when God placed Adam in the garden to take care of creation. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God put man, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Speaking to the believers in his Colossians letter, Paul said, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now let me, let me say something here today. Paul talks to masters and slaves. Later on he would tell them to treat one another with, with respect, both of them. 
The days of the Bible were days of masters and slaves. It was a day when nations were conquering other nations and taking people as slaves. Slavery, listen, slavery has been and always will be morally wrong. It was wrong when God delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian slavery. It was wrong when the Americans in the north and the south owned slaves. It is wrong where slavery is practiced today. It was never God's intention for men made in His image to be owned. Not then, not now. And let me say today that human trafficking is slavery and communism is a form of slavery. When a nation sinks to a place where a man or a central group controls everything that people do, that's a step toward communism or modern-day slavery. We, sh we should be very grateful for our freedom in America, freedom guaranteed by our Constitution. That's why we need to guard those founding documents, such as the Declaration of Independence and our Bill of Rights. There are people today who would love to get rid of our freedoms and turn America into a Marxist or communist nation. And remember this, with communism comes atheism. If we don't protect, protect our freedom, we could lose it. And that's why it's important for us to use our heads as Christians, to speak up and work and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ, but to point people in the right direction to choose leaders who will lead us toward God, not away from God. Christians should love life and protect life because all life is sacred. We should love others because Jesus loves all people. We don't have to love what people, to do, people do, in fact, I want to tell you that we should hate sin. But if we're going to imitate Paul and imitate Christ, we will love people and we will work to share the message of His kingdom with everyone as long as we live. With His dying breath, Jesus offered salvation to a criminal who was being crucified beside Him on the cross. When threatened with prison and death, Paul never stopped proclaiming the good news of God's transforming grace through faith in Jesus. That's the work that really matters kingdom work. Jesus said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. It's important for Christians to have a good work ethic. That's why Paul said, whatever you do for work, do it as if you were doing it for the Lord. Let your work for men be used by God for His kingdom purposes. And as Jesus said, God's work kingdom work is to believe on the Lord Jesus and make His grace known to others. God has hired every believer for this job. And it is the job, His job, that deserves our loyalty and devotion more than any other. So Paul, when he entered the last phase of his earthly ministry, when his home was in view, his home in heaven, Paul did what he had always done. He labored for Jesus. To Paul, every day was a labor for Jesus. Because he believed that the power which raised Jesus from the dead would one day raise him to his Savior's kingdom in heaven. How ironic it is that the resurrection of Eutychus took place on Sunday after the Passover. Just like the resurrection of our Lord. And how fitting it is that the risen Christ used one of his faithful servants, his child Paul, to raise this young man Eutychus from the dead. All the resurrections we see in the New Testament are... Symbolic of Christ's resurrection and assurance that those who follow Jesus will rise to new life both now and in our eternal future. So Paul, having been used by God at Troas, continued his journey to, toward Jerusalem, and may I say toward danger. Verses 13 through 16. Then we went ahead 
to the ship and sailed to Assos. And there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. In other words, Paul said, y'all go on, I'm going to walk. And when he met us in Assos, and we is Luke, Luke's writing. When he met us in Assos, we took him on board and came to uh, Metalene. And we sailed from there. And the next day we came opposite Chios. And the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregillium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So on and on he went, concerning himself a slave for Jesus, willing to risk everything for Jesus, believing that in the end his reward would be life in the kingdom of his Savior. And so we see his map. We, saw, we see the map of his journey. You see where he's at? He is, whoops, get me back to the map. Oh, sorry about that. There we go. I hit the wrong button. All right. Yep, it's coming back up again. And so we see Paul's journey. There we go. And he goes from Ephesus into Troas, and now he's starting his journey and back from Miletus to Chios to Mytilene to Assos to Troas. He's there. He's back and forth. He, you notice he went to Philippi. He saw Titus. He's going all around. He's going by foot. He's going by camel. He's traveling this area because he wants to go all the way back over here down to Jerusalem. That is what he wants to do. He wants to set sail and go to Jerusalem. And so that's what happened. And so when he got to Miletus, he called the elders from Ephesus. And let's wrap up here. Let's verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and this is a touching story, so I'm just going to read a lot of it. And when they had come to him from Ephesus, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminded the Ephesian elders of his life and his ministry. He reminded them that he had demonstrated his faith in the gospel by by remaining faithful to God in spite of immense trials. He declared his faith in the gospel by delivering the message of Jesus to every house, to every life that would hear. Verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Would you go on if the sign said danger ahead? But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Look at all the pages of Scripture. Did anyone experience more suffering for the gospel than Paul? Paul remained faithful to the job to which Jesus had called him. When he received Jesus on the road to Damascus, he never never got over that. Have you gotten over that time when you first met Jesus? Paul never forgot his call, and he spent the rest of his life trying to make up for his evil past. Before his conversion, he was the hated enemy of Christ and his people. But after he met Jesus, Saul became Paul the preacher, the encourager. And it was through his faithfulness that Paul 
was able to reach people all over the world. Friends, notice the Holy Spirit which empowered Paul revealed the sufferings he would endure. Still, Paul kept going, knowing that his reward was not in this life but in heaven. Friends, when we really believe our eternal reward is in heaven, we will remain faithful to Jesus through every danger we face in this life. Paul did. Notice the grace principle with me. Read it with me. The grace of God that transforms our future transforms our faith so that we may finish God's purpose in our lives. See, that's God's grace. It's a sustaining grace. Did it prevent Paul from suffering? No, in fact, Paul suffered greatly for his faith. If you remain faithful to the work of Christ, to kingdom work, you may suffer greatly. Suffering is a fact of life. Everybody suffers. The difference is that suffering for Christ is temporary and results in great rewards. Paul said in Romans 8, 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It, can't even, even, it cannot even begin to compare with the glory we're going to experience in the presence of Jesus. That's what drove Paul to keep going in spite of the difficulty and danger he faced. And Paul faced a lot of danger. Notice what he said. He testified to the Corinthian church about his suffering. He said, labor's more abundant. I worked as hard as I could for Jesus. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 39 times. He, he was beaten five times, last 39 times. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in the ocean, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides all this, what comes to me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. He suffered physically for the gospel. He suffered emotionally. His heart broke for the lost condition of the world, the persecution of the saints, and the lack of commitment among God's people. Friends, we are where Paul was. We're in such a lost world, a world where Christians are being persecuted and put to death, a world where people who call themselves Christians are not committed to Christ. I recently read an article about entertainers, celebrities, actors who were Christians. They said, these are, these are celebrities you didn't know. They were strong Christians. And I began to look at the list, and I thought, are you kidding some of these people who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ have done and said terrible things on the screen and in public. They're, they are actors and they're just putting on a Christian performance. That's what I see happening in the world of faith. Not just from them, but from a lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of acting. A genuine Christian has had a great transformation and really follows Jesus. True faith remains faithful to Jesus even when it runs contrary to culture. A true believer like Paul never abandons his faith. In times of danger, a real Christian doesn't turn back. He stays with Jesus and he finishes his course all the way to his eternal home. That's what Paul did. Was it painful for him to say goodbye knowing that he would never see these people again? Yes, it was. But that's why God's grace is so sweet. And Jesus is so important because when we have him, we know that one day in his kingdom, there will be no more goodbyes. Let's look and finish out. Verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you, are, that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which, is, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. And then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. A sad goodbye in this life, but a joyous reunion when they saw Paul in heaven. That's what the grace of God promises us. And I want us to pay close attention to what Paul said about sharing the gospel. His job. He said he spent three years with them, working and proclaiming the word of God to them with tears, with heartfelt concern for them, so that one day he could, so that he could say right then, I have completed my mission and I am innocent of the blood of all men. Wow. What a testimony. I want you to ask yourself something as I have. Have I completed? Ask yourself, have I completed all that God has given me to do up to this point in my life? Have I taken every opportunity to share the message and love of Jesus with the people God has put in my path? Have I remained completely, totally faithful in my work for Christ? And his kingdom. Howard Hendricks sat in a plane that was delayed for takeoff. And after a long wait, the passengers became more and more irritated. So Howard Hendricks noticed how gracious during all of this irritation. People were upset. You know how it is, a flight delay. He noticed how gracious one of the flight attendants was as she spoke to the people. After the plane finally took off, he told the flight attendant how amazed he was at her poise and self-control. He said, I want to write a letter of commendation to the airline about you. And the stewardess replied, she said, that's not necessary because I don't work for the airline. I work for Jesus Christ. She said that just before going to work, she and her husband prayed together that she would be a good representative, ambassador for Christ, and she was. What about you? When the world around you is dark, and there are delays, and there are people that are upset, and when the world around you is dark and the path you're following is difficult, do people still see Jesus in you? Are you making that kind of positive, Christ-honoring difference 
in the lives of others. Paul worked for an eternal kingdom. For whom and what are you working? Let's bow. So on this Labor Day weekend, what are we working for? Just ask yourself, what am I working for? Is it riches, fame, comfort, pleasure, or God's eternal kingdom? Who holds your greatest love and devotion? Which path are you traveling? Are you on God's path for your life? Are you on the right path for a heavenly home? Is your faith real? No one can answer these questions but you. When you leave this world, how many people will know Jesus because of you? When you leave this world, can you really say like Paul, I finished my course. Maybe you need Jesus in your life. The Holy Spirit is knocking at your heart today and saying, let me in. Jesus wants to come into your life. Would you receive Him? Pray with me and mean it with all your heart. Hey, dear Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you shed your blood to pay for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry that I have shut you out of my life. I'm sorry that I've lived for everything but you. Right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and life and be my Savior. I accept you, Jesus, as my only Savior and my Lord. And I make a commitment today to work for you, to finish my course for you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest thing you could do is pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. But if it's real, you'll, start, you'll, make, you'll see a transformation in your life. While we're singing, if you want to walk down, the cameras will be off. And I'd be glad to just love on you and pray for you and encourage you. If you want to, or, or you can tell me going out the door, but confess that salvation of Jesus. Lord, thank you so much that you have given us a job to do. And I pray, Father, that we'll do it without complaining. And God, that we'll be bringing people into your kingdom right and left. That everywhere we go, everything we do, whatever place we find ourselves, that we would know we work for you. And that others would know it too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing without him. Without